There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I am joined by the trust expert, David Horsager. David is a CEO of the Trust Edge Leadership Institute, national best-selling author of the Trust Edge, inventor of the Enterprise Trust Index, and director of one of the nation's foremost trust studies, the Trust Outlook. His work has been featured in prominent publications such as Fast Company, Forbes, and the Wall Street Journal. David has advised leaders and delivered life-changing presentations on six continents with audiences ranging everywhere from FedEx, Toyota, global governments, to the New York Yankees, and the Department of Homeland Security. I first met David in 2013 when I attended his Trust Edge Facilitator Certification Training in Minneapolis. This was a three-day training that provided incredible insights into how to build trust and how to gain the Trust Edge. I used these skills and tools to help Dixon rebuild community trust following the arrest of Comptroller Rita Crunwell for the embezzlement of $54 million over a period of 20 years. Today, you are going to learn about the Trust Edge, the eight pillars of trust, and the research that has served as a foundation for these important trust-building strategies. Hello, David. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, it is great to be here. Thank you, Danny. It is hard to believe that it was back in 2013 where we first met. It was, I still remember that. You know, that was a, that was a, Fun certification. We had we had heads of hospitals, and you know, we, like this this draws great people like you. I mean, that's the fun of this. Police chiefs, the senators of 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 uh, governments. You know, we've had we've had. I mean, it's just uh, uh, amazing. In spite of me, <laughs> what's happened with this whole trust movement? So, um, I'm but I'm passionate about it, and I absolutely believe in it more than ever. More than ever, and so just to give the the listeners a little bit of background. So, when we talk about excellence, and my model commitment to excellence. When I walked in to this training, and there were, there were 50 or 60 people at this training, the level of, of excellence, of professionalism, the attention to every single detail. David, you even had an artist there uh, drawing uh, cartoons and sketches as the days went on, and a lot of them related to the messages you were delivering. I, I was blown, I've never been, I've been to so many presentations, traveled all over the country, heard some of the, of the best speakers in the country, and never had an experience like that. Speaks such incredible volume of the work you do, the pride you take in it, and, and your level of excellence. We say it all the time here, you know, it's the little things done consistently that make the biggest difference. And, and we also, you know, we'll talk about those eight pillars, but one of the pillars of trust is compassion, showing you care. And I believe, you know, you know, that takes a, a, a different way of doing that in different environments. But in a, in, a, in a training or development environment, as an example, you have a facilitator that cares about themselves. They don't come prepared. They're not ready. They're still doing technical stuff. And they're saying, well, my kid's this and I that and I this. A way we can show that and, you know, show care for the audience is 
were ready. We thought of them. We tried to hit every part of their senses with the right food and the right, I mean, I talk about trust, but we, believe it or not, I thought of every dessert that happened. I thought of the meal, you know, I th we think about the meals, we think about the, the artists for visual learning, we think about the way interaction is. I think of how much uh, engagement through humor as well as how much engagement through series, how much application. I mean, I just, we want to do our best. We're not perfect, but we really think about those things and we hear the kinds of things you're talking about because um, that can help people the the outcome is how do I help them increase trust how you know we know without trust leaders and organizations fail so we help people the most when we help them understand how to build trust the fastest and uh, if we create the right environment that's one way we do it well it, it and if you ever get a chance to go see David live to see any of his stuff right now virtually when you think of virtual presentations right now, you think of people sitting behind a desk, you know, talking to somebody on, on a video. I mean, they've got a studio with five cameras, major production. You feel like you're at a live keynote the way you and your team pull this thing off. Well, yeah, I mean, thank you for that. We, we, we care about it because we care about the message. I mean, the whole, the whole output is, the whole driving force is that, we really believe a lack of trust is the biggest expense of organizations and people. We really believe that without trust, leaders and organizations fail. We really believe that trust is the leading indicator. So if we can get that across and think people think about trust differently, help them think about trust differently, we've really helped them. I mean, you think about this in your world, uh, leadership and, and these kind of things, I would argue, um, you know, at the core, it's never a leadership issue. The only reason I follow a leader or not is trust. It's never a sales issue. The reason I buy or not is always to do with trust. It's never an innovation issue. The only way I get people to be creative and innovative is trust each other. Then they'll share ideas. A lot of people hold their best ideas in because they don't have trust. The only, you talk about learning environments, which was what we were talking about with that facilitator certification and our Trust Edge Leadership Summits. Um, the only way to increase learning, enable more learning, is increase trust either in the teacher, the content, or the environment, or all three. So if I can make the environment safer, a better learning environment, I can increase the outcome of trust, right? I can increase, so that's why I think about that. Even today, we talk about diversity issues. The biggest Harvard study shows diversity on its own pits people against each other, unless they have trust, unless you increase trust. So the core issue is a trust issue, actually not a diversity issue. With that, you get incredible benefits of diversity. The only way to amplify a marketing message you got to increase trust in the message. That's the only way. So when people see it as the core issue, the root cause that it is, they actually solve the real issue instead of just saying, oh, communication or engagement or leadership, whatever it is. Um, then we have a chance, right? Love it, love it, love it. So David, let me ask you this. What drives your passion uh, for the power of trust? What got you into this field? Probably, you know, three or four things. One, when I actually look back on it, I see my dad, 91 years old now, for the trusted leader that he was. Not everybody has the gift. People can learn from terrible leaders and good leaders, but I had this great leader in a dad that um, was so high trust, and that, that was inspiring when I look back on it. Probably everything started there. But later on, um, I had this epiphany. Uh, I, was, I was teaching leadership or something at, at an event. It was you know, over 20 years ago, around 20 years ago. And uh, Lisa and I didn't have our four kids yet. We're outside. It's at the Lowe's Resort, maybe the most expensive resort I'd stayed up to that point as a, as a you know, a then 20-something-year-old. Um, and we're looking at the stars. And I'm like, that 
talking, just debriefing the day. It's not some weird epiphany. It was just like, we're just talking about the day, looking at the stars. I just remember this beautiful deck and just saying, I don't think the issue they think they're having is a real issue. And I was like, I don't think they, they think they have a leadership issue, but it looks like a trust issue. And then I don't think they have a sales issue. They, that looks like a trust issue. I started to see this trusting. That led me to start questioning and thinking about things differently when very few, if any, people were really researching trust in business and leadership. Um, that led to my graduate work uh, in the early 2000s that really uh, made me look at it this deeper. And really that made me think, you know what? It's a trust issue, actually. Of course, then we started applying the work in companies and it was working. We had a company early on, 600 people that we did this trust work and they said in nine months, we helped them gain, uh, uh, save two to four million in attrition costs. We had a different com big company that you would know, a Fortune 50 company that attributed 11% uh, market share increase on $1 billion part of their organization because of the trust work. We had a, a university, we had we actually we had one of the biggest healthcare organizations in the world say they increased their engagement score in a group of a thousand or so people and they hadn't done that in 14 years and it was a 400 basis point increase. So we thought work, right? And then, you know, all the time I'm learning and thinking through this, I'm not perfect in any of it, I just know it's true from the research, but I started using more and more of it in my own life and it changed me, it changed my marriage, it changed my relationship with my, my kids, it changed. so. I mean, my passion, the research, seeing it work in others, and then seeing it work in myself, now I'm absolutely passionate about it. And of course, we're doing one of the biggest, if not the biggest, study annually on trust and leadership, uh, at least out of North America. And so that, that continues my passion. We continue to work with everything from corruption issues in East Africa to pro sports teams to, you know, um, companies and, and, and police forces and cities and whatnot. So... Um, I get to see it firsthand. So that fuels the ongoing passion, I guess. Yeah, you are, are so passionate. It just, when, when you're around you, you can't help but get passionate, excited about this concept of trust and the trust edge. You know, I, I agree with you. I think the foundation of leadership is trust. We created this model. Um, leadership is influence. Influence comes from relationships and relationships are founded in trust. If you don't have trust, you don't have relationships. If you don't have relationships, you don't have influence. If you don't have influence, you don't have any leadership. And so it's just your, your message is just the foundation of so many things mm -hmm. and, and principles on how I now lead uh, in my role as city manager, formerly as police chief, as a community member. And it really has changed and, 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 and revolutionized my leadership. So I thank you for that. David. Well, I thank you, by the way, for serving and for being there because you gave a great insight. You know, a lot of up until that point, we've done now more with, with government and policing. And, you know, City of Las Vegas has used us for years now. And the police chief is certified and, you know, fire chief certified and some of these others. But at that point, we hadn't really had as much in the public sector. We'd done, done a lot of business work and that kind of thing. So the perspective you even brought back in 2013, that was so good for us. So I've always, I, I really appreciate the way you serve and the way you lead and, and uh, our friendship and all this great work, I hope. Thank you so much. I appreciate you saying that. David, let me ask you this question. How do you define trust? It's like, you know, that can be complex, but we've stuck with the definition that I uh, decided on way back in my grad work, you know, 20 years or whatever ago. Trust is a confident belief in a person, a product, or an organization. So when I can confidently believe in you, 
that's when everything changes. If I have, you know, you could say dependable, you could say consistent. I mean, consistency is one of the pillars. Consistency is right. For good or bad, if you're late all the time, I'll trust you to be late, right? So all <laughs> these things play into that. But but this confident belief, like I have a confident belief that this, like I have a confident belief that this chair will hold me, so I just automatically sit in it. I don't check the legs again or everything else. I, I When I have a confident belief in you, uh, generally then to do what's right and to get, deliver results and these kind of things, then um, that confident belief. So um, I would say the trust edge then is this uh, – competitive advantage gained when others confidently believe in you. I think it's the greatest competitive advantage you can have in life and business um, being confidently believed in because that gives you what you talked about, positive influence, positive outcomes. The number one question everybody's asking, by the way. People think, oh, they're asking, "Do do I like you or not? That is totally untrue. I've got friends I like a whole lot, love watching the game with them. I wouldn't go into business with them in a million years because I don't trust them. The, the highest question is, be, do I trust you? And in the way I talk about trust, it, it almost always includes being liked. It, it's like, you know, of course I can trust someone to do something bad or be late too. But, but I'm talking about, can I trust you with this? Can I trust you school? Can I trust you with my kids? Police, can I trust you to be fair and equitable? Uh, business, can I trust you to give me the outcome you said you'd give me, result that you said you'd give me? Um, you know, that's they're asking internally. Your spouse, wife, partner, friend, you know, they're asking every day, can I trust you? That's the question. That is the question. It's, it's I mean, in every interaction, right? Yep. And, and, and now more than ever with so much divide in our country, so many critical issues facing our country, so much lack of confidence in, in what we're seeing out of our political system, be it from COVID, be it from civil unrest, be it from issues surrounding the police, it, it really does come down to, to trust. And is there a confident belief? And, and I think what I'm hearing uh, and, and what I'm hearing from others is that there isn't a confident belief. Maybe one That's of the biggest true. issues facing facing our country. No doubt about it. And of course, that that led to the second, you know, the first half of all my grad work and all the research we've done is, was this case for trust, showing the impact, the bottom line impact of trust. Wherever you have a lack of trust, you have a cost. And, and you can think of it as simple as a lock, right? The only reason I put a lock in it, the lock business is built on a lack of trust. The reason I put a lock on something is because I don't trust you. Well, what are the costs? There's a money cost. I got to buy the lock. The biggest cost though is time. Now I've got to open, spend time opening it, right? So there's always a cost to a lack of trust, and it's the same in our government right now. It's the same in policing. Like if if I didn't, uh, if I could trust policing, I wouldn't have to spend millions on body cameras, as an example. Um, if I could trust our government, we, you know, I, I think um, a friend of mine that's spent a lot of time, a mentor of mine, 20 years my senior, spent a lot of time in the White House. Um, on both with Democrats and Republicans, but um, uh, we were talking the other day, and he said, "You know, 50 years ago, an average bill that went through con- Congress was about two and a half pages. Now, an average bill that goes through Congress is 1,500 pages or something like that. So that's because they don't trust each other. So you got to spell this little thing out and that little thing out. And there's nothing about intent. It's like this. What's the cost? The cost is massive because not only to read everything and the time to spend and understand and the, the the other cost is nobody actually knows everything that's actually in a bill and nobody." No, nobody knows. So this ambiguity and complexity is costing. So it costs our government, um, you know, and there's a, we could drill down on a many a million, ways, you know. 100%. And, and we see it every day. And I think you bring it to life very, very well and the importance of this. So David, can you share, so kind of a combination question. 
um, talking about sharing some of the research that's gone into creating the Trust Edge and how the Trust Edge was created and came to life. What are some more important highlights from the research and how did yeah. you develop and create the eight pillars of trust? So in the beginning, I was just researching research. That's how you start in a, in a grad program like I had at least. So you're, what's out there? What's showing trust? And there wasn't much in business or leadership really. It was, you know, there was therapy type stuff. There's a lot more these days that where people are talking about just with and without research, funny enough. Our eight pillar framework, by the way, was just, I've got it back here, was just revalidated by an outside university as triangulated revalidation as the eight ways that trust is built globally. I'm proud of this work. PhDs have been built on it um, also. And so, uh, but what I was looking for is I was just in that grad work. I was looking for what, you know, what drives trust? Is it just, as an example, is it just integrity? A lot of people say that. Is it just character? People say that. But that's not true, as you know. I might trust you to watch my kids at the ballgame because of your character or compassion. That doesn't mean I'll trust you to give me a root canal. Oh, so we need to have competency, competency in the area you want to be. Oh, but we also need to get results. So you could have competency, but if you don't actually deliver results, if we, if you have competency, but I go in for surgery and uh, it's amputation, you cut off the wrong leg, mm, we got a problem. So we all of a sudden, oh, we got to have, we got to have these results. So these eight things started coming out of that grad work. Now we've of course continued. We put out a kind of big white paper in 2014. Then we now we are known for the trust outlook every year. Uh, 2017, 18, 19, 20, the 21 is just coming out where we do a, a pretty significant study uh, annually. Um, often it's plus or minus 1.7 or 1.8% margin of error. That's pretty significant. It's a global study. Um, often it's uh, you, you, different years. We're focused on different things, but the U.S. is, of course, always a part of it. But, we, you know, we've, we've done last year, I think, Venezuela and the trust issues there, and we've done, you know, the top GDP uh, country on every continent, but Antarctica. And, you know, so we're looking at what, what, because these eight pillars have been validated as the way they might, you might need to contextualize them for an area, but they are every problem, every trust issue comes under these eight. It always is a function of these, these eight. That's why I argue, you know, people don't solve the real problems. So often they say these big words like engagement. Well, you don't get engagement with engagement. You have to increase trust or because, because my research funnels then funnel down to a word that started with C for clarity, um, uh, for, for clarity of the eight pillars, people will say to me, well, isn't it ever a communication issue? No. It's never a communication issue at the core. Communication's happening all the time. Now, I know what they mean, but when they can define it for what it is, as an example, one of the pillars is clarity. Clear communication is trusted, unclear isn't. Compassionate communication is trusted, hateful isn't. So you can be communicating and losing trust all along. Um, so you have to define the real issue, right? So I don't know if that gets at it, but the, the, where it came from was originally kind of my grad work and those curious questions, then um, our ongoing research, and also I would have to say experience. You know, I've worked, done this work on, on six continents, um, everywhere but Antarctica. We've done it across cultures. We've done it now in policing, pro sports, many industries. Uh, we've got certified, you know, coaches in Singapore and Indonesia and, uh, you know, Amsterdam and Quebec and Uganda. So we're, we're, we're using it, we're seeing it. And, and so also experientially the results. When I talk about David and his team are everywhere, David and his team are, are everywhere. David, what, what are some of the key takeaways from you from this research? What are, what are a couple of key things that you'd want to share related to the, the research? 
Well, I'll tell you a couple things just from last year's study, and this is m multiple times, but I'll just, from my head here, what's, what's top of mind. Last year, the number one reason people followed a leader, um, excuse me, the, the last year, the number one reason people want to be a part of an organization was not higher pay, was not more autonomy, was not a more fun work environment with a ping pong table. Number one driver was trusted leadership. They wanted to be around leaders they could trust. And that was, that was a big deal. Uh, let, let me just get the data exactly. So they said, yeah, number one reason people want to work for an organization, trusted leadership. Last year, uh, nine out of 10 Americans would not refer products or services they don't trust. This is why I say it's not a, uh, a net promoter score issue or a referral issue, it's a trust issue. The only way to drive up referrals in any organization is trust. Last year, over half of millennials and Gen Z said they would work longer or be a better team payer. They'd even take a pay cut if they could trust their leadership. Um, I think a couple other interesting ones, half of Americans said they invested $1,000 or more, excuse me, $1,000 or more based purely on trust. Uh, 13 million Americans said they have invested over $100,000 based purely on trust. I'll give you one more takeaway and we could do, be in research all day, but here's one that hit me. 92% of people said they would trust their senior leader more if they would be more transparent about their mistakes. And this is a good takeaway, to, takeaway for leaders that are listening. Uh, I can remember my you know, oldest daughter when she was um, younger, young, a young teen. Um, she said, uh, you know, she, I can still remember she said, uh, Dad, I, I asked her about something. We were on a walk and she said, Dad, you wouldn't understand. You're perfect. And I thought, that can sound sweet, especially if, you're three, if they're three years old and you're their hero. But at 13, 14, 15, that's a big problem. And so I, I, I realized she's seen me fly out. She's seen me in these nice you know, events and the things that happen now. So I started sharing with her places I've made mistakes. The time I lost you know, all the money of our family buying a business and losing everything right before she was born. I mean, all these you know, things I'd done just kind of on our walks in general. And, and what started to happen? Well, she started to trust me more and it changed our relationship forever. We tend to connect on... Uh, mistakes, not on accolades. You know, saying, oh, I was an all-state football player, nobody cares. Saying, hey, I lost everything in business. Oh, I can relate to that. I had an issue. And so many leaders that I walk next to and sometimes get to sit now these days next to presidents of countries and presidents of companies, but the thing I see is they are, um, they often have this imposter syndrome and they're scared to death of being found out when in fact, if they would be a little more vulnerable and transparent, people would actually have their back more. And this idea, I think it is a really interesting idea that being transparent about your mistakes is actually generally a good thing. All this has to be done with wisdom, as you can imagine. No, absolutely. You know, Brene Brown does, you know, quite a bit of work and talks a lot about vulnerability and this, this concept and idea around transparency. Um, and we hear it with, you know, government and we hear it with the police, but it is so, so important from a leader and I know just from my own experiences, you're right. Nobody wants to hear about how great you are or how good a job you did or how perfect this was. They want to know that you're a real person just like them. Yep. Because if you are, they can feel comfortable being around you. They can, yep. they, can, they can allow themselves to be vulnerable, allow you to see their flaws. 
but, but nobody wants to expose those things to somebody they think is perfect or who thinks they're perfect, who is right. unapproachable. And this whole transparency and vulnerability thing is just a huge uh, leadership lesson for people to take away from this. And it isn't something that you think, or I think this is something that your research, the top research in the world on trust has validated. Right. Yeah, there, it's, it's just plain true. I mean, another one to this point, I won't spend much more time on research for you because I can get into this because I want to see what's really true. But another one, speaking of reasons people uh, under one of the, um, under the compassion pillar, we talk about appreciation. This might be interesting for, for people is um, the top reason that people left organizations last year was not, be, not being appreciated or noted for notable work like not being a genuinely appreciated. Not, this isn't giving every kid a blue ribbon for doing nothing. This is when people do something, noticing it authentically. So uh, all these things are important. I will say another subtlety that's important to understand about trust though. It is more complex than you think. So where I just pushed transparency and vulnerability, and I think that's critical for leaders, um, th there's, there's more complexity than we think to trust. So as an example, transparency is trusted. But some of your kids are so transparent on social media, I don't trust them for a second because confidentiality is also trusted. So this is the work of leadership is that we have to deal in this tension of being as transparent as we can while being as confidential as we ought. I mean, these, these are the problems. There's other misnomers about trust. It takes a long time to build trust. Well, it can, but in a moment like 9-11, complete strangers trust each other in a second if they're running the same direction. In crisis, trust is built and lost in a moment. In fact, most trust is built and lost in a moment. So as some of these things, or, you know, if I extend more trust, I'll get more out of my team. It's, it's mostly true until you extend too much and then we could have a huge problem. So this, the, it is a little bit complex, but it always is a trust issue and we always have to actively work at building it. The problem with many people is they think, oh, trust, you either have it or you don't. Not true. You can actively build trust and that's why we built the framework and we apply it. I mean, you can quickly learn how to do it and you can consistently reinforce it, and you can have high, high performance because of it. And I would argue it's the only way to get performance. High performance consistently is increased trust. So anyway, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. That, that is huge. You know, we had a story uh, recently. It was in the last six months. We, had, we brought a new team member on, and they were knocking it out of the park. Uh, right away, we could see they were special. We empowered them. We trusted first. I think there's so much power in trusting first. And the team member came in to one of our department leaders and said, hey, I want you to know that um, I've, I've, my former company is trying to recruit me back and they've, they've offered me a $10,000 pay increase. And you know, most people would think that conversation was going to go to asking us for a pay increase, and it didn't. And the person said, I just wanted you to know about this. Uh, and, and I'm turning it down because I've never felt so appreciated in any place hmm. that I've ever worked. And then they specifically mentioned a few leaders um, who, who had really demonstrated that appreciation. And, so and cool. it was so, so powerful, David. So powerful. So wonderful. So powerful. I love that. So let's talk about the eight pillars of trust. David, what are the eight pillars of trust? Boy, I could talk all day about every one of them. So I'll try to, I'll just give you a brief. And of course, they're in the Trust Edge, the Trusted Leader, the new, new Trusted Leader book has some new application of what leaders can actually do. So here they are. So, so 
So this was the two sides of the research. Just let me say this. The first half was this argument. I don't even have to argue it anymore because people get it. But back then, no one was researching trust. So the first half of the research was this whole case for how a lack of trust is the biggest expense of organizations and people. It's the real leading indicator. And uh, it really affects attrition, morale, stress, uh, skepticism, time to market, everything more than anything else. That case for trust was first. But of course, what that does is when you actually see trust is the key indicator of success in the way we talk about success, then the question is, well, how do you build it? So that led to the second half of the research. And these eight C words represent eight research funnels of exactly how trust is built. So here they are quickly. Number one is clarity. Not in, uh, they were relatively co-equal, but we'll start here. Clarity, people trust the clear and they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous. They also mistrust or distrust the overly complex. Most people think they're clear when they're not. This is why it's much, you know, it's much easier to have a 100-page strategic plan than a half-page strategic plan because 100 pages, you fill all kinds of garbage. You boil it down to a half page that I can understand, that I can hold accountable to, that I can share with others. That's way too much work, but that is the work of clarity. Clarity is trusted. Number two, I, I, let, me, let me just contextualize that one because it's easy. So for a leader, clarity of vision might give the most trust. For a, for a salesperson, quit being clear about how cool you are and how long you've been in business and be clear about the benefits of that product to me. And if you're clear about the benefits, you'll sell more. For the teacher or professor that every kid hates, it might not be that they're such a bad teacher, it's just they're so unclear about the assignment, everybody goes home frustrated. So in all cases, it was a clarity issue, but it was a little, it was applied differently to their context. Clarity. Number two is compassion. People trust those that care beyond themselves. And this is really critical. It's hard to have a healthy accountability environment, a health, some other things, without compassion. Um, don't underestimate the power of actually caring. And as you know, some of the ways we show that in the workplace, we call that the laws of compassion, listening, appreciating, waking up and being present and serving others selflessly. So number three is character. We th knew this would be important. Of course, it's not everything. As you know, I said competency and contribution will come, but character is critical. Um, you know, a lot of the leaders that had this pillar were, were defined by the attribute that they did what needed to be done instead of what they felt like doing. Uh, we, we have a seven-step process for how do you drive high character into an organization. Number four is competency, and that is I trust those that stay fresh and relevant and capable. This is why I love your podcast. You know, it's, it's, it's not, if you're leading, if people are leading the same way they were 20 years ago, I don't trust them. If people are selling the way they were 10 years ago, I don't trust them. You've got to stay, I've got to stay fresh and relevant and capable in, in whatever role we want to be trusted in. Number uh, six is uh, commitment. We trust those that stay committed even in the face of adversity. And the next one is commitment. Um, funny enough, I got my own pillars out of order. But um, and number five is commitment. People trust those that stay committed. So you think of anybody who's left a legacy in your life or in history, your mom, your dad, your first grade teacher, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, or Joan of Arc, and you'll think of someone who's committed to a cause often beyond themselves, maybe to death, but they were trusted for that commitment. And I will say right here, often people ask me, how do you rebuild trust? It is not the apology. It doesn't mean you don't need to start with an apology, and it doesn't mean we don't have a 15-step process, which we do if you're a big company. But whether you're a big company or an individual, it actually comes down to one thing, and that is we trust those that make and keep a new commitment. It's the only way to rebuild trust. 
Number six is connection, the ability to connect and collaborate with others. So if, if, if I, there, every one of these pillars has counter forces. And if I see siloing in an organization or an unwillingness to share, an unwillingness to collaborate, then we know we have a um, weak connection pillar. And uh, I like the, the new work by uh, uh, Kelly, Matthew Kelly on the myth of genius and uh, really shows, uh, I think it was his, yeah, that shows how nothing great has ever been created alone. I mean, Edison, that was actually 12 or 15 people that created the light bulb. The cotton gin, we learned, oh no, who created that? Uh, Eli Whitney. Well, he probably didn't. It was probably a whole group of slaves and actually a woman, Catherine Green, had a big big input in it, but you could only have one person on a on a uh, patent in those days. So anyway, he, they prove out how it's all, great things are always done in groups. Number seven is contribution. The, uh, the number one word that came out of this research funnel of contribution was results. We trust those that deliver results. You can have compassion, you can have character, but if you don't contribute the results I expected or asked for, I'm gonna, we're going to have some problems. i got to get results. But I also have to have compassion, character, and these others. And, of course, finally is consistency. We trust consistency for good or bad. I, I, I joke, you know, if you're late all the time, I said it before, I'll trust you to be late. If you don't wear enough clothes, I might trust your Kardashian. But whatever you do consistently is what I trust. And, and so two areas of this. In a person, the only way to have your reputation is consistency. If you're always this way, that consistent way, I trust you. The only way, now in a company, the only way to have a build a brand is consistency. The stronger the consistency, the stronger the brand. McDonald's has, McDonald's has a wildly strong brand because of color, look, feel, taste. That. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't even really like McDonald's, but I trust them. I've had the same burger on six continents, right? So <laughs> sameness is trusted. So that's the eight pillar framework. And this is where I believe you can solve every organizational leadership issue against these eight. I believe it's always now, I hope without ego, a function of these eight. And that, that's why I say not communication because, you know, clear communication is trusted, unclear isn't, compassion is, hateful isn't, um, you know, consistent is, inconsistent isn't. Uh, so, you know, and they build, and by the way, they work together. So you could say, we got a clarity problem. It might be clarity. It might be you don't consistently share the message so people are losing clarity. So I might share the vision at the annual meeting, but if you're not consistently sharing it every 21 days, nobody knows it, right? So they all, commitment, I might have a commitment problem. It might be people aren't feeling compassion or cared about, so they're not committed. So uh, they often work together. And uh, you know, of course, we're contextualizing these for global work, but that's the glimpse. That, that is, and you've shared so much information there and insight. David, let me ask a question. Is there a pillar or two that stick out to you as being the most important when building trust? Well, if I was going to take, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you two since you said one or two, right? Yeah. Um, if people have a hard time with where to start, I start with clarity because if you have character issues, that's going to take a while. But you can change a little bit about clarity in an organization and see results in two weeks. And clarity does affect everything. So Clarity of vision, clarity, you know, can affect the um, commitment of people. Clar clarity of values can affect the character that people have. Clarity, you know, of, of, of processes or, or systems or expectations can affect the consistency of output. So clarity would be an easy place to start to see results quick, quickly. So you're starting with clarity in an area, of course, not it's so such a big pillar. Um, so that that's one idea. If I was going to say what's the king of the pillars, though, it's consistency. 
because whatever you do all the time, good or bad, is what I actually trust. And, and so you could say, if, if you just have the character pillar, when the lights are on and everybody's watching, that's not really character. If you just have compassion when it's people the same color of skin as you or the same something else as you, uh, that's not really compassion. So the consistency is what is actually trusted and, and, and it is the king of all the pillars. Yeah, so one of the things we talk about is consistency is gold. You, you want to be able to trust and, and whether it, it, it's a person that, is average or great. You, you just want to be able to trust, you know, what you're going to get out of that person as a leader. So important as a leader, your team has to know what to expect from you. Um, that, that's a huge thing, especially as it relates to psychological safety yeah. and, and sense of belonging. A synonym for trust almost. Psychological oh. safety, we talk about all the time. You know, it's a synonym. And then this clarity you know, when I think about mission and purpose, and, you know, we hear a lot about our why and Simon Sinek's work that's become so popular, people, and it's really emerged, and I see it everywhere I look, people are so purpose-driven. People want to make a difference. They want to make an impact. They, they want to be part of a greater good, and, it, and they need to understand how what we're doing as a company aligns with what they want to accomplish as an individual and then how they fit on in that team. And then the, the, the one pillar, and I know I asked you for two, that really, so the consistency and the clarity, both, both for me, all these are, are so powerful, but connection is, is the other one because people want to feel cared about. They want to feel like they belong. We're such emotional human beings. And, and that feeling connected is so important. You said nothing great has ever been created alone. The power of teams, the power of, of people working together um, just really transforms things, which is why we put such a huge emphasis in our organization and the companies that I work with on teams and team environment and the importance of words and, and obviously trust, um, which is at the core of everything. And I think you've done an incredible job of demonstrating that demonstrating that now. So, so David, you, what year did you, and I've got the book right here in, in front of me, the trust edge, what year did you publish the trust edge? Interesting story with the trust edge. You know, um, I was a no name, nothing kind of, you know, right back then. So, um, it was hard. I, I got turned down by publishers and agents left and right. Finally in 09, I had my first little publisher pick it up, I think. And it came out maybe 08, 09, I believe the fall of 09. And the miracle with that book was I, I finally, early on, I had a, a little publisher and I had a, um, a, a New York publisher, which is like, oh, New York publisher, wow, that would be int both interested. And at that time, the New York publisher said, we'll do that book, but we'll do it kind of soft cover on that cheap yellow novel paper uh, because we can make the most money, but you know, you'll, we'll do it. And then I had this little publisher, I was trying to see if I have a, a, an edition over here because they... That first edition, they even had a red um, uh, kind of marker ribbon in it. But anyway, that, that's you get after that. So okay. this, it's the same. It was the exact same look, just like what you have, exactly the same. So I said, no, I, I, it's got to feel trusted. So I, I asked about, before I would even do it, I said to the public, you got to put it, of the 12 you know, types of binding, I want the best. And it's the best kind of binding. I want this not yellowish paper. I actually even want it in color inside. I want it to feel good. And I don't care how much money we make or I make. I do care that it is on brand, which means it's excellent, like you said, when you come to the event. And it feels 
trusted, you know, because it's, it's, it's the brand. Now, for me, of course, uh, the miracle happened a couple years later when uh, 2011 or whatever, 2012, 11, when the biggest publisher in the world, New York publisher, Simon & Schuster's Free Press, bought it out on the biggest buyout, I think, of a non-celebrity that year. And, of course, then it went global, and I don't know how many languages it's in now, and it became a Wall Street Journal bestseller and bestseller on many other lists. But that might have never happened, where Simon Schuster came. And I still was with that little publisher that started me, but every night I could go to bed sleeping well because, hey, I stayed on brand to how I thought it should be and feel as a book on trust. And, um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I don't think it ever would have gotten picked up by Simon & Schuster without staying on brand, obviously, either. So, um, but, but that's kind of, there, there's a journey to the miracle there of nothing, uh, tiny publisher, and then, you know, in, in essence, the biggest in the world at the time, so... You, you would talk about, because of your humility, being fortunate or catching a break. Uh, one of the things and models that I live by is the best way to predict the future is to create it. Clarity is something that you are the best at and you created your future, right? You knew what you believed in. You stuck to value. You stuck to your values. And because of it, the, the, the launch of this is just incredible. When somebody walks into a room immediately, the things we're talking about, there's trust. But from the time they walk in to the time you greet them, through, through the entire experience, it's just filled and gleaming with, with trust. And, and it's just absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. David, what can we expect? So the trust edge, right, outlines research, outlines the eight pillars. What can we expect in the trusted leader, which is uh, available for pre-order right now yep. coming out in March, right? Yep. It's on Amazon actually right now, just getting wrapped up. Kind of cool. Cause they also are going with color inside and some of the cool things we did. The other ones, it's a lot, it's not the 367 page research based book, but I will say this about trust edge. You should get it first. It's got tips and takeaways you can use and it's good to have that. And it isn't hard to read, even though it's research based. However, the trusted leader is shorter. The first half is a parable. A story, fast reading. Think of uh, One Minute Manager, Who Moved My Cheese? Just an idea that really takes a, a leader through transforming his company that almost failed. And, and when he has this, uh, these epiphanies around trust, in essence, that I've seen people have. And it's, it's a really cool, engaging, fun story. But that's like less than 100 pages. You can be done with it in an hour. And then the second half is some new ways of how to apply each of the eight pillars as a leader. So... That it's quicker to read, it's easier to read, it's more shareable. You know, these days people don't necessarily always want to read a 300 plus page book. They want something quick and easy. Get the concept, get things I could use tomorrow morning. So this is more in that vein. Um, I would say this, if anybody wants to see one of the coolest that we know of leadership platforms, uh, trustedgecoaching.com, we could give you a free demo. And it is a way that even, small, it used to be something people had to spend six or seven figures with us to get this. And now for a very low fee, people can get this whole way of driving trust even into small organizations and into big organizations. But the platform and support we give there, um, if anybody's interested, is another way of taking it forward and actually really using it to get performance and results that you might hope for. So to our listeners, there will be more information on that, on that platform uh, in the details description, wherever you're listening to podcasts, there'll be direct links to that. David's walked me through that. It's something we're working on and looking at bringing. 
uh, to the city of Dixon, where I'm currently the city manager at the, the value of the trust edge, you know, as I talked about in the opening, the, our community and our government had lost all trust following the arrest of Comptroller Rita Cronwell for the $54 million embezzlement over 20 years, a community, a team left in, left in shock and awe. And we have completely rebuilt that trust uh, significantly on, on the eight pillars and the framework that, that David talks about here and the leadership. Um, and, and it's crazy. And now we're being featured by the NIU Center for Governmental Studies as a regional hub as an example for rural communities. I mean, we're now really thriving and on the move. And so I believed in this when I met David. I, I, it was reinforced when I read the book after the three days of training. We implemented it through the police department. It was a guide and a roadmap uh, through our recovery in the city of Dixon to get us where we are today. Uh, so very, very valuable. I can't wait to see the trusted leader. And so all these things will be noted in there. If you're not following David on LinkedIn, you need to follow him on LinkedIn. They're putting out you know, a couple videos a week, very high quality, professionally done. Um, David's traveling the world, big conferences, big companies, um, just, just amazing, amazing work. Any final takeaways from today's conversation, David? Any, anything, you've shared so much. Is there anything else that you're like, let, let's give this one more nugget? Well, I, I guess I'd leave it with two things. One, if you can start to see the real issue as the, and the real root cause of your challenges and issues, and barriers to growth as trust, you actually start to solve the real issue. So if you can see them as one of these eight pillars where it fits, you can actually solve the real issue. And then secondly, I guess I would say, it's the little things done consistently that make the biggest difference. So whatever, if you can be a great repeater, repeaters build the brand, repeaters build habits, repeaters build character, and repeaters build trust. And uh, you know, then I'd say this, on the farm growing up in northern Minnesota, I, I remember one of the sayings of dad was, you got to do the work. That pile doesn't shovel itself. The corn, you know, the, the, the rocks don't pick themselves. The hay doesn't bale itself. You got to do the work. And that's my big, biggest agony in this. I have so many people come and say, I love that trust stuff. I believe in that trust stuff. Now, um, you're gonna, you know, this old idea that you can change a habit in 21 days, which is totally skewed research. Um, it, it's like, I want this fast, quick fix. I, yeah, I got a big trust issue. You got five minutes. Well, if you, I don't know how you would change the world, your world or the world without focusing on trust, but the problem is you got to do the work and most people won't do the work, but when you do, I can tell you, you have the greatest chance at what I would say is genuine, lasting success. Wow. David, thank you so much for, for joining me today, for taking the time. It's an incredible honor to have one of my mentors, somebody that I look up to uh, in this leadership space, uh, join me. Uh, I, I really appreciate you taking this time. Thank you, Danny. Really appreciate it and uh, fun to follow your great work. Yeah, thank you so much. To our leaders, a lack of trust really is your biggest expense. People trust the clear and distrust the ambiguous. Every time trust increases, morale, output, retention, productivity, innovation, loyalty, and revenue go up. David. Uh, took us through the eight pillars of trust, clarity, compassion, character, competency, connection, contribution, and consistency. Consistency is your gold. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. If you're, if you're following on Apple, any of the other platforms, please leave us a rating, share with your network, and remember, always be committed to excellence.